1: Breaking news from the Chicago Reader. Coming January 19th is the newest podcast brought to you by the Chicago Reader. It's called The Sit Down with Shawnee Dez. From visual arts and music to food and film, host Shawnee Dez has engaging conversations with the individuals who embody community and help make this such a dynamic place to call home. With new episodes dropping twice a month, grab a seat, and get ready to be inspired, uplifted, and to learn something new.
0: Your Ben Jarofsky show for this Thursday, January the 18th, starts now. On today's show, Ben welcomes back Data Projects Editor for WBEZ Radio, Alden Lowry. The Ben Jarofsky Show is a presentation of the Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago. If you want to know what to do, where to go, what to eat, what's a drink, what Ben Jarofsky's reading about, what Ben Jarofsky's writing about, you need to head to chicagoreader.com and you can find everything Ben Jarofsky at chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky. I'll spell that for you. It's J-O-R-A. V is in victory. S-K-Y.
1: Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Soxland Grab Thursday, and here's why. Oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. Uh, I was thinking about what am I going to discuss with my dear friend, Alden Lowry, who has uh, graced us with his presence today uh, on my humble little podcast. And I, my beloved bright one comes right, 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 dropped on my front step right here. I'm showing uh, my distinguished guest Alden that it's actually a real newspaper <laughs> with a front page story about the Chicago White Sox in negotiations uh, with the owner of the uh, land called the 78 and the Soxers viewing it as a potential site for a new stadium. <laughs> I don't know whether to laugh, cry, or do a little bit of the both. So I'm going to paraphrase something that Alden said when I mentioned to him about this deal, like when is enough enough? I just, just, just follow me on this. Ladies and gentlemen, the Chicago white Sox now inhabit a stadium not far more than their old stadium used to be Comiskey Park, that was built in 1991. 1991, 32 years ago. Like, is it now outdated? Do they need a new stadium? It used to be, like, stadiums, I don't know, like, 75 years, 100 years, really feel still going strong. We, what, 30 years is now the new limit? On stadiums, that's it. It's old. Get out of here. We're still paying it off. We we, sub, we being those taxpayers, you know, remember us? We're still subsidizing that deal. And now it's like this breathless reporting from the Sun-Times. Guess what? The White Sox are negotiating with the developer of 78. Now, there is so much embedded in this story. I could go on and on and on about this. 78 is a huge tract of land on the south in the south loop roughly if you put this in your mind just south of roosevelt Road, along the chicago river around clark street it's huge track right now there's nothing on it it blew my mind when i discovered it when i personally discovered it which was i forget when i think it was back in the 90s i did a story about it for a reader anyway neither here nor there it's like oh my god it's like wilderness here i remember wandering through there um uh, one day, but I spent the better part of a day wandering through there along the banks of the river and there was bicyclists, you know those dirt bikers doing like wheelies off of little uh, hills and mounds of dirt. There were like homeless people you could see they were sleeping in there. It's where uh, there's a, a, a storage facility that the city of Chicago operates uh, in the midst of it all. And that's where they like, when they, when they have old monuments that they want to move. That's why I was there. I was looking for an old monument. Uh, they dump them there. So it's like It's not like the land has no use. I mean, I have that in quotes. I mean, somebody, dirt bikers need a place to do their dirt biking, right? It doesn't cost you, the public, any money to have a dirt biker use that huge tract of vacant land. But no, if you're a capitalist, if you're a developer, your idea is that this is uh, land that should be put to a better use. So they propose all kinds of things to go there. And guess what? None of them has any traction. Because it costs so much money to develop there. The developer needs a huge public handout uh, to make it worth his while, her while. Uh, And they haven't been able to uh, generate any kind of legitimate uh, business deal. So it just remains vacant. All kinds of ideas get floated in the paper, breathlessly announced. And then they fall apart. So now the latest is the White Sox. And I'm like, building the White Sox a new stadium just... 30 years after they built their old one, who is that going to help? Like, think of, do a list of 10 things hampering the city of Chicago right now. Just think things that are on your mind. Alden and I are going to talk about a couple of them at least. Um, Would a new White Sox stadium address any of them in any way? Particularly considering that. The current White Sox stadium is more than adequate. Whatever problems the Chicago White Sox have, and ladies and gentlemen, they have a lot of problems. A new White Sox stadium is not going to cure them. They need pitching. They need hitting. They need fielding. They need a manager. (laughs) I don't see that coming with a stadium. We're just relentlessly throwing money at things. The Bears wanted to hand out for their stadium. Soldier Field was rebuilt in 2002. We're still paying that off. The Cubs are endlessly updating Wrigley Field. Okay, at least they're not. They don't have their big Cubs paw out looking for a handout. No, they get tax breaks for it. You know, because it's considered a uh, what a landmark. It's kind of funny they disfigured the the landmark and still are getting tax breaks for it. Very curious attitude the city of Chicago has towards its feature and what it needs to do to correct its issues when they continually. Uh, one of the solutions is to just to continually <laughs> rebuild stadiums for moguls who own sports teams that really don't produce anything on the field. All right. Without further ado, I'm going to bring on the great Alden Lowry, uh, WBEZ uh, editor, reporter, extraordinaire. Uh, welcome back, Alden.
2: Hey, Ben. Uh, great to be here. Thanks for having me again.
1: Yeah, so you heard my opening riff. Uh, you heard it before we did the show when I was uh, riffing, uh, and um, so just so folks know, uh, one of Alden's great contributions—I uh, call him a demographer—to uh, our understanding of the city is the stories he's been steadily doing down through the years about uh, the demographics of Chicago, particularly um, the vast number of Black people who have left Chicago over the last, well, since 1980. Uh, and I think you said it was 400,000. I think that's the number you gave me. Just pause and think about that, ladies and gentlemen, 400,000. So when you view that, when you view that demographic uh, loss, 400,000 people, can you see any way in which a new baseball yard would arrest that loss, would it even confront that loss? Are they just things on different planets that have no connection to one another?
2: Um, I mean, I suppose there's there if if that, well, the creation of a new stadium, um, unless that new stadium is being built in the middle of, you know, the black neighborhoods that have, have been draining population, and it came with the promise of uh, you know, thousands of jobs and uh and represented an economic engine that would boost. The creation of a number of other uh, kind of economic opportunities businesses small businesses and more uh, more jobs and it, that it was being built um, let's say in Englewood where we essentially as a city uh, helped facilitate the clearing of several blocks of uh, of homes and homeowners uh, in order for uh, the railroad to uh, to expand um, if we were to do that and put in that place um, a stadium that would, would would generate, I mean, we're essentially talking about maybe a couple three miles south of the uh, existing uh, uh White Sox ballpark. Um, then I might say, yeah, that might be something that would be helpful. But if if a new stadium is being built, uh, farther away from the south side and farther away from these communities that have been losing the bulk of the city's black population, I would say, I, yeah, I don't see how that is necessarily a benefit to that specific. Uh, Ill that uh, has been a part of Chicago's uh, history the last four decades or so, um, uh, and even then, I, w- I wouldn't say a, a stadium is necessarily a guarantee uh, for for that kind of economic driver. But uh, but I can see an argument being made. But if that if that's an argument uh, being made, then that stadium has to be located uh, where uh, where where those issues are taking place.
1: I would just like to point out that the current White Sox Stadium at 35th and Shields uh, or 35th just uh, west of the Dan Ryan is closer to Englewood than this proposed White Sox Stadium. So instead of directly impacting the community that needs development the most, uh, as Alden is uh, suggesting, they're actually going in the other direction, literally, not just metaphorically, uh, Alden, but literally going in the other direction uh, on the map of Chicago. So I would argue that uh, a proposal to build a White Sox stadium uh, is has no connection uh, whatsoever to um, which, the the issues in Englewood. Now, I'll throw this at you: uh, We've been championing on this show. No one's really paying attention. Uh, the Bears building uh, a stadium and the South Works project, uh, the South Works Steel area, uh, further south of Englewood, so in a community uh, that's not it's on the lake and uh just north of the indiana border where chicago touches indiana uh that's a that's a huge chunk of land that uh is filled with toxins and has to be cleaned out uh so i would argue there's a public benefit if this bears go there at least they clean up that land uh what's your thoughts about the bears moving a stadium down to the far southeast side
2: um i i that would also be a you know with regard to uh potentially, you know, kind of sparking uh, the kind of economic uh, growth and development that might be necessary in places where it's most needed. Uh, That would, uh, that would be potentially an ideal setting. Uh, You've got uh, right around that site, you know, you've got South Shore, South Chicago, East Side communities that have seen better days. uh, Certainly, uh, specifically, they've, they've seen better days the last time uh, that land was actually occupied, uh, by industry. Um, uh, that was, you know, one of the most significant, uh, industrial losses the city suffered and, uh, the communities, uh, surrounding it have, uh, you know, kind of had a, you know, they've been working, uh, in a deficit position ever since, uh, many would argue. So, uh, yeah, no, there, I mean, that site, uh, not, uh, uh interestingly, uh, as the, related Midwest-owned uh, land there uh, for the 78 um, have been vacant for a very long time. And I, I think you hit on the potential reasons. There certainly are environmental issues on the Works site, and there are other kinds of cleanup issues and uh, land prep issues with the 78 site. Um, but it, you know, it's like there needs to be this investment of resources in order to prep the land. And for some reason, it seems like we're in this space now where when people want to do these mega deals, they have to happen, and this is not unlike the conversation we have around new new uh, sports facilities as well. There has to be this outlay that the people who are ultimately going to benefit from, um, uh, in order for them to pull the trick, you know, put to you know to pull the trigger and 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 make the deal. And if they don't get it, then they just simply don't make the deal. And um, uh, it's a kind of a perplexing dilemma for uh, you know a public. Uh, entity for the city to to kind of to kind of think about it. like so it's kind of like so do we do we make this investment thinking that the, the payoff will ultimately benefit the city and ultimately I think cities lose I, I think you know when you look at it over the course of the of the entire time you know they're not as bad a deal as the. <laughs> as the um uh, as the parking meter deal but um but 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 they're but they ultimately uh in my opinion anyway they they just they feel like they they're they're bad deals, and so the the bears and the socks make out well um and the communities around them get a nice fancy ballpark, and that's certainly of some value, but it it doesn't translate ultimately. Um, and so, when you think about uh, so, so the seventy eight was cons- was along the lines of link of the Lincoln Yards development. And if I'm not mistaken, Ben, I think the seventy eight got a big outlay of tip dollars. If I'm not mistaken, I'm um, and, and not as big as Lincoln Yards, I don't believe, but I, but I thought they got a decent yes. amount of, of you know thanks to, uh, to to Mayor Emanuel. And so it's kind of like. What's going on? I mean, this if you really think about it and in that sometimes story, I think somebody I think there's a quote like this is the best undeveloped piece of land in the city. And it's like it is incredibly well located. Right. It's a stone's throw from downtown. Um, you know, um, it's this big, expansive space. Uh, there is a community. You know, you've know, got Chinatown just south of there. You've got this West Loop community just to the east uh, and to the north of it, um, uh, South Loop, uh, a community just wrapping around it, it seems really ideal. So, what's the issue? And 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 I wonder if the issue is that the price point that the folks who want to develop this land, or and perhaps the interest that they need to draw for people to build on it, isn't quite there. But but if you, if, I mean, it feels like it's it's that quote I think says it all. This is the best undeveloped parcel of land in the city, and if that can't attract. Um, uh, investors. I, I'm not sure what will. So maybe what it is, is that the people who are ultimately developing this land are just looking for a bigger payout um, in order to, 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 to make, uh, to, to start cutting some deals so that they can get to the price point they want to get to. And, you know, what do they lose in the meantime, right? You know, okay. Yeah. They got to keep the, the, the site, you know, reasonably managed and, and so on and so forth. But like, you know, that the expense to in terms of waiting on that big payday is maybe not a big deal for them. And so they'll, they'll wait until as such time as, as, uh, as, uh, as the city, uh, is willing to, 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 to dole out what, what is necessary for them to get the price point that they're looking for. The, uh, yeah. And by price point, I mean the profit, the profit margin that they're looking.
1: for. Yes. Uh, and, uh, you're absolutely correct. Uh, the, one of the in the last meeting that the city council had in the Mayor Rahm administration, they uh, made two uh, TIF. They passed two TIF deals. One on the north side, Lincoln Yards, one point three billion. I'm doing this off the top of my head, and the other one, uh, which is the seventy-eight, which is this area on the South Loop. I think it was one point one billion, and they did that. Uh, just want to remind everybody that alderman prerogative does not really exist over the objective. Of the incoming Alderman who is a Byrosexual Lopez. He'd just been elected to replace Danny Solis. Oh my God, folks, this is such I'm sorry, that You just sparked me and I have to say you you were the one who mentioned this, so now I'm triggered. Uh and so Danny Solis, it was vacant because Danny Solis had gone into uh like the witness protection program. I am speaking metaphorically, I don't know if he was literally he just disappeared. Why? Because of the story it just broke that he worn a wire uh capturing uh, Ed Burke, Alderman Ed Burke. In all kinds of uh, ne'er-do-well stuff that he was doing behind the scenes. So Danny was going to be the key witness in the case against Burke. We saw him testify. Anyway, so there was a vacancy in the 25th Ward. The incoming alderman said, don't create this TIF. The city council created it anyway, okay, uh, over him. So there goes your whole theory about alderman and prerogative, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, uh, another myth that's been shoved down our throats. Uh, and, um, and then... They redistricted the land out of Byron Sixto Lopez's ward. Uh, then ultimately, because the city powers that be realized we can't trust this lefty on top of this project, if we're going to pretend we still have automatic prerogative in the city, we can't put this huge mega corporate handout deal in a ward controlled by a de- of an avowed democratic socialist because he'll be fighting it every step of the way. So this is just the uh, machinations leading up to this point and at no point Alden to your point ever did anybody say that a White Sox stadium was going to go here it was always like research facilities residential communities like condos up to the water's edge you know what I mean this is and like this is just the most uh the greatest land, this is the greatest location that's undeveloped in the city of Chicago. People will thrive, want to die to live here. Well, apparently, there's no market for anybody to live on the water's edge there because now they're <laughs> telling, you, hey, Chicago, we're going to put a White Sox Stadium there. Yeah. And you're supposed to go along with it. Go ahead, all of them. Yeah. Wasn't this
2: land also among the short list of potential spots for the Chicago casino,
1: if I'm not mistaken? Yes. Well, as the biggest chunk of undeveloped land in the South Loop, any kind of huge mega deal that's coming Chicago's way, this is a potential site. So remember Amazon? Remember that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) This was also a potential site for Amazon. Uh, And, uh, yes, the casino. I'm trying to think of any others that might be uh, missing. Whenever there's, like, a a possible great deal. I I think the Olympics had something scheduled for this, too. Remember Daily One in the Olympics? But none of this has anything to do with the most significant trend when it comes to development and demographics in Chicago. And that is the continued departure of residents, particularly black residents from the city of Chicago. So I'm going to repeat something that you said to me when I when you first introduced this to me, which I recorded repeatedly repeatedly. Well, obviously, Ben, I go, this is unbelievable. All these black people live in Chicago. What's the city doing about it? To which you said, and I paraphrase, well, obviously, Ben, they don't see it as a problem. I remember you saying that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah, they're, you know, I I think uh, Mayor Lightfoot gave uh, 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 some attention to it uh, during during her time in office. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, I, you know, outside of the urban league and, and a number of other people who are living in many of these communities, uh, and, and doing community work, um, yeah, this doesn't necessarily seem to be at the very top of, of, of the list of things that need to happen. Um, and again, I want to, I, I do want to give due to Mayor Lightfoot, because she talked about, about this. And then also, um, her uh, invest Southwest uh, plan, I think, was was also aimed at trying to to revitalize these communities. I think we've uh, we've heard Mayor Mayor Johnson speak speak to it, but uh, but I don't know if we've seen any very direct uh, action as yet to to address this. But uh, but yeah, I, I I think if you were to talk to the elite uh, in terms of uh, financiers uh, in Chicago uh, and others, um, um, there haven't been many who have been have been talking about this. Um, so, um, yeah, so. Yeah, I'm, I'm still waiting for the, the grand plan that it will be <laughs> offered uh, to uh, to bring to bring to keep and uh, black Chicagoans uh, in town and and, and to uh, to bring those who left back. Um, there is a, a great deal of, of available land uh, in, in many of these communities. I mentioned Inglewood and West Inglewood, I think, number one and two. Uh, in terms of uh, demolished properties over the past decade, by far, uh, I think number one and two in terms of foreclosures uh, in uh, in uh, Chicago communities uh, by far. Um, and if you just walk through those neighborhoods in particular, um, uh, you can see vast swaths of land that are, are that are that are cleared. I mean, you can literally stand on one block and you can see, you know, two or three blocks over in, in, in some spaces. Uh, I remember talking with, uh, uh, with, uh, with a, with a woman who uh, grew up in West Inglewood and still lives there. And she, she said, uh, the community is, is dying. She said, West Englewood is dying. And, uh, and I thought that was a very um, illustrative way of kind of describing what what's happening in those communities. And this, you know, this isn't just a you know, a story about personal preferences and, and people trying to find, you know, I mean, it, it is partly that certainly, but, um, but when people are packing up and leaving and nobody's coming in to replace them necessarily, that's a statement about how, how tough things are in, in that particular, in those particular spaces.
1: By the way, I think this is the grand plan. i mean, at the risk of sounding uh, really cynical. You talked about the what's nobody's coming up with a grand plan, a, a grand brand ch- I can't even say it, grand plan uh, to reverse these trends. I think this is the grand plan to continue these trends. Uh, that's my cynical jaded point of view uh, from the attic here overlooking the alley. Uh, all right, Alvin, um, whenever we talk about uh, demography in the city of Chicago, I have many guests who come on and say, Ben, you cannot separate this from crime." I'm thinking of you, Mark Sims, shout out podcaster Mark Sims, always talks about that when he comes on the show. PC, Peter Cunningham, I see you, always talks about this when he comes on the show. Crime in the city of Chicago. In addition to studying uh, residential uh, patterns in the city, demographic patterns in the city, you've also been studying crime. Uh, As such, uh, you've taken a look at the statistics over the last few years, and uh, shootings and uh, homicides are down, armed robberies are up. Uh, I'm trying to make sense of all this. Uh, What's your theory uh, about crime trends in Chicago right now?
2: Oh, wow. Um, Well, crime is, um, I I am, uh, I've spent a lot of time uh, and energy uh, kind of observing uh, crime. And I've written about it in a number of ways and talked about it. Um, But, you know, when it comes down to the, the pivotal question about you know, trying to explain what's happening on the ground. Uh, Crime is just one of the most difficult uh, kind of social phenomena to truly understand. Um, um, uh, And especially when you start looking at different crimes, um, you know, so shootings and homicides uh, can go one way, armed robberies can go another way. We saw carjackings, uh, which hadn't even really been a thing, uh, really, uh, in Chicago. Uh, and then, not that they never happened, they just, they weren't a thing, the way they were during the height of the pandemic. The numbers just went through the roof. And um, and so those numbers have come down, even though they're, I think, happening more than they were happening, you know, 10 or 20 years ago. But um, but armed robberies saw a tremendous spike. Uh, and this is the, the, what I was capturing in what I teamed with the Sun-Times to write about uh, late last year, Um, 2023 just saw this dramatic spike over uh, like a 10-month period. I compared five months from February through June to five months from July through November, and the difference between those two five-month periods was the sharpest difference between any two consecutive five-month periods um, since we've got the data to, to take a look at. Um, So more than 20 years. And so, uh, and so, so that was the basis of of that uh, research. And, uh, and when when people ask why, you know, there, there's nothing that jumps out at me necessarily, um, uh, because it was happening, there there were spikes all over the city. um, But, uh, uh, and on a percentage level, the spikes were highest in places where the numbers are typically low. So Bridgeport, for instance, had like this 500 percent increase or something like that. It went from 500 to 600 percent increase. It went from like seven during the first five month period uh, to uh, to 35 or something like that or 42. I can't remember the numbers exactly. So it's just just very dramatic uh, percentage increase. But then communities where there were literally hundreds of of armed robberies taking place, uh, you know, they were seeing even more. Uh, so the volume was uh was still much greater in other communities um, and communities were were where issues of crime have been uh, part of the narrative for 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 a long period of time um and so um, uh, one of the things I, I when I think about this that that question and one of the things I think about specifically uh, are I think about economics and so um, uh, shootings to me homicides to me are Crimes of passion and emotion, I think., um, you know, I'm stepping a little bit out of my lane, I'm not a criminologist, but but uh, but but just my sense is that you know people get to a point where they feel like, okay, I've got to do this this rash thing. And so I mean, we've seen shootings happen in Chicago when somebody tries to go to a party and they get turned away at the door and they come back. We've seen shootings and homicides that happen in Chicago when people get into beef. Uh, on a very personal matter. Um, and so so that's what I think about when I see, see those crimes. Now, certainly if you are stressed, if things are going, aren't going going well for you in life, maybe you have a, a greater propensity to kind of respond and react in a way. And maybe the lightest, the, the mild, what might appear to be the mildest of slights draws you to that thing. Um, I reflect on interviews that I've had with people over the years who have committed violent crimes. And uh, some of what I hear is that like, when you have nothing else, you don't, you're not, you're not, you're not living well necessarily economically, you're not living well professionally or socially. And all you really have is your kind of your pride and self-respect. And so when somebody damages that, that feels like the greatest crime that you've endured. And, and there have been people who've responded by saying, hey, look, I can't let somebody take that away from me, too. And so it may seem extreme for other people when folks sometimes something happens and it feels like a mild shy of disrespect or something like that. And people react very uh, aggressively in response. And I think what's happening is that those are people who feel like this is really all that I really have to my name. And so if you if you hurt me in that way, I'm going to make you pay for that. Um, and so, so that's what I think about when I think about crimes like that. When I think about things like theft and and armed robbery and even carjackings on some level, um, uh, I think about those are crimes of economics. And so if somebody is desperate, um, they have no other means, or at least they feel like they have no other means to, to take care of themselves or take care of their families, then they will go out and take. And, uh, and, for people who don't have a lot of other things going for them, they don't have a lot of other assets. Uh, uh, this is a route that they will take. Um, so, and that's not to say that everybody who's in going through tough times does this, but, but that's what I think about. And so when we were seeing, when the pandemic came, we started seeing very large numbers of some of these, I would say kind of economic crimes, uh, and I think it was reflective of um, of of what people were experiencing economically during that time, and we saw a flash that we hadn't seen since maybe around 2016, when when we we had uh, you know at the time it was you know considered the one of the largest years for for a number of, of crime categories, and then things kind of stabilized a little bit, and then we start seeing those numbers again in 2020 and 2021. Um, and so the thing that I think about is that there are still people who are struggling. Um, I, I, one of the things that I've been telling myself to really get to is kind of taking a look at at our jobs picture. And, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of emphasis about what's happening in the loop in terms of, you know, office and, and all of that. And kind of the, you know, kind of residual impact of the, the way we do business now, um, the way we work now, and, and that there are these these vacancies downtown. Um, but uh, one of the other things that's happening is that there's been a considerable amount of job loss in terms of actual jobs. In these same communities that we're losing people, uh, we are also losing employment opportunities. Um, I wrote recently about uh, uh, in one of my columns. I talked about uh, the joy that I, I felt seeing my uh, middle daughter working uh, her first. Oh, well, it's not really her first job, but it's her kind of our first. Real consistent job uh, in, a, in a sandwich shop down on the uh, U of I campus in uh, in Champaign, and um, and uh, how that was kind of like the highlight of uh, of my visit with her during the dad's uh, dad's weekend uh, there in the fall, and um, uh, and uh, and then I I, I use that and I talk about my own experience kind of working a very similar job when when I was on campus there and trying to get get my life together. Uh, and how that work was a real benefit to me, but that in Cook County, you know, young people who look like me are, you know, out of work a lot more than their peers. I think for Black 18 to 24 years old, I'm, I'm just recalling this number from memory. Uh, I think the unemployment rate was somewhere around 30 35 percent. For all other people mm-hmm. in Cook County in that age group, the unemployment rate was like seven percent. Um, it was a much lower number. It may not, may have been exactly 7%, but it was a much lower number. Um, and so it's just kind of like, um, so, so I think about that. And so these are communities that are really hurting and in addition to losing population or those communities are also losing, uh, uh, losing physical jobs located in those communities uh, and might be the places where someone might get their first First job as a 19 year old, you know, out of high school, uh, maybe not going to college and looking for a place to, to 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 find employment. Maybe it would be at the local grocery store, or maybe it be at, at at some other place. Uh, and they don't have it, you know. Uh, you know, we've talked largely uh, in recent years about the losses of big box stores and other other places like that. So so that disinvestment that's happening in those communities is having an impact. Uh, I think on this as well. Uh, so. Uh, so yeah, so so I, that that would that that would be my best guess that these uh, these it, it that those numbers are indicative of of people struggling uh, and there are other there are other things also as well you know in, in terms of you know you know maybe just kind of unstable kind of uh, you know, of uh, home life um, other pressures uh, so on and so forth uh, but uh, but yeah but crime in and of itself is is just one of those things that is really hard for you to kind of very easily kind of pinpoint. Uh, and say, you know, if we did this differently, that would help this. Or if we stopped doing this, you know, that would help that would that would uh, help us to decrease these numbers. Or if we are more aggressive with policing, um, we're going to see this differently. Uh, you know, say what you will about Chicago police. Um, but they're not faint of heart. Um, I, I, you know, I, I think uh, CPD uh, has been uh, incredibly aggressive and uh, to a fault, uh, some would argue, Um um, uh, you know, I, you know, they, they're trying, uh, and I, I, I would argue that, you know, I think in some ways they're looking, uh, at the wrong things or looking in the wrong direction, but, um, but, uh, but they're not laying down on the job necessarily, uh, even if we don't agree with all of the tactics and philosophies that they employ. Um, so, uh, it's, it's tough. It's, it's tough. Yeah. Uh, crime is, is, is just a really in, intricate um, uh, issue and, and it's it's difficult. Uh, there was a column I wrote last year. Where I talked about, hey, we're this is during the election season. And it's like, we we don't know what the answer is. So let's stop acting like, you know, uh, Paul Valls' tough on crime approach is going to get it done. Let's stop acting like we know Brandon Johnson's approach in terms of addressing the root causes of crime is going to get it done. You know, we don't know. We just don't know what the answer is. Let's do our best instead of kind of picking at each other. Let's do our best to, think through this constructively and, you know, collaboratively and try to come up with some approaches that we think will will have some, uh, you know, some benefits, but let's stop acting like we know what the answer is.
1: Yeah, it's a kind of a bleak thing to confess that you don't know what the answer is uh, when there's a compelling uh, problem that uh, the city is wrestling with. But I could tell you what uh, is definitely not the answer, building a new White Sox stadium in the middle of the 78, okay? <laughs> <laughs> just, folks, just so you know, that will have nothing to do with any of
2: and, and think I, of the gall. After the season that the White Sox had, this should be the very last thing we hear from Binesdale uh, for uh, anybody else with anybody the White Sox. Else. Come on.
1: Oh, my God, yes. But, uh, see, I will say this to response, uh, and I put this to PC when he comes on the show, Peter Cunningham, all the time. Uh, and uh, that when... When experts uh, and demographers and number crunchers like you and other people like you gather this uh, these statistics and make an attempt to analyze them and sort them out so there's some kind of understanding of patterns, uh, you're not unlike uh, the number crunchers and sports teams that do the same thing for performance. And the uh, when this, the number crunchers and sports teams do it, they're trying to maximize the skills of their players so that they have the greatest benefit and minimize their weaknesses. So if you see, if the numbers tell you that a guy is bad on defense uh, against a certain type of player, you make sure that he's not on the court, my beloved basketball or on the field football at the same time that the player that, uh, that that has an advantage over him is et cetera and so forth with crime statistics. I would think that you could use them to kind of pinpoint some patterns that exist with crime, so that you could what adapt your policing techniques or your economic development strategies or your uh, social welfare uh, strategies to effectively to use them most effectively to cut crime. So I think there's a larger point to gathering the information. Uh, if there's a group of people who are like using it as really soph- in a sophisticated way, and all then my sense is is that we've been that's where we've been abandoned for years in the city of Chicago. This is me speaking out. Look, you can say whatever you want, but definitely in this century, I feel that uh, the folks in charge have just been ignoring the numbers. Uh, and just plowing ahead with whatever idiocy they want. So we have things like, I'll just name one that you named, selling the parking meters so that we lose, (laughs) we lose a huge chunk of annual revenue that could support some of the programs that might give folks like, might help deter crime if you link it to economic issues or, pumping more money into a baseball facility when we still have a perfectly good one, like a a mile or so away from where you want to put the other one, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, am I being unfair to the city? Go.
2: Well, I would say, um, I would say, no, you're not being unfair, but I would push back a little bit. I, I think that there are, that we do think about or what I think we have demonstrated is that when we think about crime, we do look at the numbers and we do say, OK, let's do this different. But usually it's through the the, the prism of law enforcement. Um, and I think this notion is I think the notion that we've, we've thought about if if we do it in any space, we do it in this space. We address crime as a city, as a society, largely through policing. And so if crime numbers are high, then that means we need to do something differently with police. We either need more cops or, or, or criminal justice in general. We either need more cops or we need, we need, we need harsher penalties, or we need you know, more prisons. We need something in the criminal justice space in order to address the crime. And the, the thing that I would say in response to that is, I'm not gonna say that that isn't going to be helpful. What I will say is that I think there are probably other things that would be more helpful because generally speaking, when, and this is just from the the times that I've talked with people who have, who have a criminal background. And the thing that I've uh, kind of gathered from those conversations is that the level of policing, the level of penalty or whatever is way down the list when the decision is made. To sell drugs, to run guns, to rob or steal or otherwise commit some uh, illegal act in order to benefit themselves. Those are not the things that are at the top of their list. Um, and so, uh, uh, it's 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 they're looking for fortune. They're looking for fame. They're 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 looking for sustenance. They're looking for something that's much more granular. And sometimes the decisions are also weighed against what they, you know, what other options that they have. Um, And so uh, if you, if they don't have other options, then these are the routes that they take. And so to me, if people had greater opportunities, they had more options, those would probably be more impactful to prevent someone from making a decision to commit a crime than saying, okay, the penalty is, is going to be this, or we're going to have more cops that are patrolling. Um, so especially when you think about, well, what, what, what are we getting? And again, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not on the police abolition side or prison abolition side, although I, I can, I can understand those arguments. I can, but, um, but when you think about like what the clearance rate is on the most egregious crime there is homicide. Um, and it's very low in Chicago. It's lower in Chicago than it is in in, in many other comparable cities. Um, and it's even lower for crimes like armed robbery, for you know, for burglary and other things like that. So it's like, you know, why is that why is that our go-to when we say we got to address crime? Why do we look at that? And again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have police. I'm not saying that that making improvements in the way we police or how that how that response is structured. But, but that's the thing, law enforcement, the courts, police, prisons, those are a response to crime. Mm -hmm. What we need is something that prevents crime. Mm -hmm. Um, And to me, those are a whole different set of things that have to do more so with economics. They have to do more so with opportunities. They have to do more so with options. That's that to your point, I would say, no, we are not, looking at the numbers and thinking about it uh, and kind of building our strategy in those areas. Our, our go-to has been in how we literally respond to crime. And I, I, and I think that's part of the reason why we haven't seen the, the, the kinds of uh, improvements that, that, that we'd like to see.
1: All right. Uh, let me tie a couple of themes together uh, on this same general topic. Uh, you mentioned the shootings as crimes of passion. Uh, and I'm going to connect it to something you wrote about recently. So follow me on this. Uh, I'm, I'm not even certain this will make any sense as I begin this, uh, mental journey. Um, so our dear friend, our mutual friend, Mick Dumkey wrote, uh, several articles, great articles, uh, for the reader about 10 years ago where he, he examined, uh, some murders, shootings, I think it was on the West side and came to the conclusion there's a retaliatory culture in the city of Chicago. And uh, it's, or at least uh, he, in the terms of the streets of Chicago, and I expanded it. I go, oh my God, this is genius. This is a citywide thing. And he opened my eyes with that article. Those articles that make the. uh, All in this uh, Chicago, it just is embedded with this notion of retaliatory culture. I mean, it's just like the gangster mentality of Chicago. It's like, rive on our gangster past. Our mayor's talk tough. Not this one so much. I think it's a welcome break. Brandon Johnson is up to welcome break. But remember, Lori Lightfoot you know, talking tough to the Italians and everybody else. And yeah, that swagger. I'm I'm in charge and Mayor Rahm. He was like, you know, he was the tough guy with with the knife and the fish and all that stuff. You remember all that in dailies, we're all t- everybody's tough in the city of Chicago, right? Uh so I think that's like a psych psychological issue that we here in Chicago have but we never address this retaliatory culture and it leads to all the shootings and stuff. Here's the connection. You wrote about dibs. I believe there's a direct correlation to Chicago's obsession with the concept of what is mine. This is mine. I own this. Because what? You dug some snow? I mean, it snows in Chicago. You did a service. You dug out some snow. Okay, you did something good for humanity. But no, in Chicago, it turns into, I own it now. This is mine. And you talk about something that can lead to a shooting. All that it's like somebody digs out a little spot in front of his house, put his car, and somebody else parks in it when he leaves. That could probably lead, I don't care what side of city, what race, in Chicago, guns will be drawn and fired over that idiocy. And I believe I believe they're tied together. This is my theory. When I read your column on Dibs, I'm thinking about it for a long time. I just this is my grand theory. I would love you to weigh in with your response. Go. Sure,
2: sure. Um, so I would say uh yes, it is um uh, I was just curious as to what the numbers would show in terms of people calling 311 and saying, hey, can somebody come and pick up this object that somebody has left behind uh, in the snow to claim a, a parking space? And uh, it was interesting because the kind of northwest side communities, southwest side communities is where the rates were the highest uh, for for that. Um, and so I didn't know if that was uh if those were communities where there was just this very strong resistance to dibs and the places where the calls were much lower, uh, it was acceptance. Um, I don't know if it was just a matter of the parking availability um, or even perhaps uh, how well the snow was cleared uh, just in general, Uh, you know, side streets in particular, you know, you, you're not going to get the kind of uh, you're not going to get the trucks there. And then if there are cars that are occupying um, parking spaces, you know, that, You know, you're not going to be able to plow those areas anyway. But um, but uh, but anyway, I I thought it was interesting. But but one thing is for sure that the people there, there's it's the city split. Right. Some folks like yourself who 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 uh, are are just angered by the the practice. And then there are others who literally are like, you know, hey, look, I'm going to respect (laughs) it. And and then I'm also going to employ it. And if you dare take my spot, yeah, we might be throwing hands um, in response. There are some people who take it very very seriously. Um, for that piece, I did try to find a connection between certain crime categories and uh, and and complaints about dibs, and the numbers just weren't quite lining up. Uh, at least, and by that I mean, I, I couldn't find very clear evidence that suggested that in places where people were complaining about dibs uh, there were all, you know, there were also kind of cuffs or other kinds of things. It just, uh, you know, I looked in a, a number of different places and and, and and nothing really jumped out at me that I, that I can hang my hat on. But, um, uh, but, uh, uh, Monica Ang did a great uh, thing on dibs uh, for WBEC's curious city uh, a few years back. And, uh, and in that piece, she documents a number of incidents where there were fights um, I don't know if there were any shootings, but there were definitely fights, uh, vandalism, people's, you know, you know, uh, puncturing tires and uh, and, and scratching, uh, scratching up cars and stuff like that. So so there is a retaliatory nature with dibs. Don't get me wrong, even if I couldn't find uh, anything uh, very clearly indicating that in the, in the data, uh, it does happen. It, in, in, and I think you just kind of have to have a sense of of that when you're when you're deciding whether or not you're going to take a spot that somebody has claimed. Uh, if you know the neighbor, <laughs> and if, if if you know that a spot had been claimed and you can remember what car was there, you know, who it belongs to. And it's kind of like, Hmm, that dude is a little unstable. I'm not going to take <laughs> yeah. this spot. Um, you, you gotta, you, you gotta, you gotta understand that you're, you're at least. Yeah. Taking it. I am. I am. I mean, I'm a, I'm a lifelong Chicagoan, native Chicagoan. So I'm certainly familiar with the practice. Uh, I have employed it. Um, um, I have, I'm, I'm not somebody who would retaliate if somebody took my spot, but I, I would be upset about it. I, I won't lie. Um, uh, I just like having a spot when I come home, Uh. particularly when I lived in Auburn Gresham, I was in a house, and uh, uh, I had a car that was not working that was in the garage so having a spot in front of the house was great. Um, the thing I hated about it when 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 the spot got taken was just because I had to dig out another spot yeah. uh, in order to park, um, and I didn't particularly like that. But but I I have no issues with people who don't like the practice. I can certainly understand. Like it's the public way, and that's why there's a city uh, part of the city code, municipal code says that you can't leave your <laughs> items in the public way. It's a street that belongs to everybody. So oh, great, you, oh, you wow. scooped out a parking spot. Good for you. You have a clean parking spot to park in. But once you leave that parking spot, my man, my lady, it belongs to whoever decides to park there next. And so I I have no issues with people who are opposed to the practice. I would just say that if you are opposed to the practice, just be careful.
1: Yeah, Be (laughs) careful.
2: You take somebody to the spot. That's all I'm saying.
1: yeah. Uh, I, uh, okay. By the way, what confession time of the Ben Jarofsky show, Alden Lowry confesses to putting chairs down. Did you put chairs down in the spot? Is that what you put like a a lawn chair? Is that what you d- use you to used claim to, your I
2: would, I would put like a chair down? Yeah. Um <laughs> uh, It's funny. And in, in doing that piece, uh, there've been other stories that have been written about just the very, Colorful things that people were putting in their spaces. Uh, Star Wars figurines, uh there were nativity scene. Uh it was like Jesus and Mary uh, or uh Joseph and Mary, I think were were left in one spot.
1: Wow. Um
2: uh Whoa. we are very uh we are very creative in, in how we uh claim our, our parking
1: space. Man, just think about that as a mixed metaphor. A nativity scene left behind to claim a territorial right. <laughs> the whole thing about the <laughs> The birth of the Lord was that it was about all, you know, compassion and helping the poor and the afflicted. No, I'm using this to claim a territorial right. You are twisted, Chicago. You are a twisted city. I'm just telling you that, all right? It,
2: if, if Chicago had its own Ten Commandments, I'm sure thou, thou not <laughs> steal someone's uh, uh, claimed parking spot would be would be one of the ten.
1: You can't steal what you can't claim. Okay, there, there you go. There's a philosophical thing. <laughs> That's a non-existent claim. I claim the right to like you said. You know what? I gotta give her credit. Tony Preckwinkle. Uh, and uh I've I've had my issues with uh President Preckwinkle over the years, uh from time to time. Uh but overall she's impressed me in many levels. And one time, I'll never forget this was a community meeting long time ago, uh, Alden and and Tony Preckwinkle's was, was addressing the issue of the Olympics, which is the dumbest idea the city has had ever, but whatever. Uh, I digress. And somebody raised the issue of residential parking permits. As long as uh, she at the time was an Woman Preckwinkle. And so as long as the Woman was there, this guy got up. And even though the meeting was supposed to be talking about uh, funding the Olympics, he said, I have a gripe. You won't you won't approve presidential uh, residential parking permits. In other words, Uh, stickers that the city gives to people who live in the area, giving them the right to park there and no one else. Mm -hmm. And she declared a philosophical uh, opposition to allowing even residents to have quote unquote dibs to public streets. And uh, he said, uh, well, you know, we'll uh, you're going to lose the vote you're Gonna lose the vote of the people. I'm paraphrasing And She said, if you're not gonna vote for me for this, so be it. And I was like, God damn, Tony Breckwinkle. I kind of <laughs> respected her. <laughs> that was like, I got my philosophy, and I'm not budging. And uh maybe we would have better off had we elected her mayor. Who knows? Uh all right, uh, let's move on from dibs and close uh, with another uh, column you recently wrote that uh, I really enjoyed and appreciated a lot. I'm much older than you, uh, Alden, but like you, uh, I share a love for just getting away from Chicago. I love getting I'm more. <laughs> the older I get, the more I love to get away from Chicago. <laughs> uh, and I had never link this to you you always seem like somebody who was comfortable with chicago as you said you born and raised here uh you continue to live here you raise your kids here sent your kids to public school etc. and so forth uh but you you took a trip uh to the grand canyon and i have made that journey alden i have stood at the Grand Canyon with my mouth open, just in total wonderment. And when you see it, you feel, oh, my God, anything is possible in the universe. Why am I still living in the city of Chicago? Oh, Lord. Anyway, Uh... I had that feeling when I read your column. uh, And it was uh, on the road with Alden Lowry. You got away. You went by yourself. Talk a little bit about like that mini spiritual journey you took. What was it all about? What did you discover? Go ahead.
2: Um, It was,
1: uh, it
2: was, uh, you know, a a new year. And um, I think I mentioned in the opening that uh, uh, late last year, I remember having a conversation with my oldest daughter who actually spent a year in Phoenix and uh, visited the Grand Canyon. Um, It might've been a couple of times. She said uh, while she lived out there Uh, and I never got a chance to visit her. And we were talking about that, and uh, and then she so she mentioned the Grand Canyon, and uh, and I was like, you know, I've never been, and I was like, uh, you know, it seemed like it'd be a cool thing to do. And she's like, oh, you'll love it, and I was like, I think in that conversation, I was like, I'm gonna go, I'm I'm gonna do it. I don't know exactly when, but I'm gonna do it. And then as the um, as the weeks went on after that conversation, and uh, we kind of got close to the end of the year, I thought uh, it would be a really good time, maybe in the new year, to do it. Um, and so I was like, I'm just going to go away and uh, what have you. What I, I didn't realize is what would happen while I was there. Um, so I flew into Phoenix and then I drove to the Grand Canyon the next day. I stayed the night in Flagstaff. I drove to Vegas. I, the, the whole Vegas trip kind of came to me as I was preparing to go. And I was like, I'll be close enough to Vegas when I'm at the Grand Canyon for about four hours away. Maybe I will just drive over there and spend a day there. And I did that. And then my last day I drove. Back to Phoenix, which was a five-hour drive and six hours because I was losing an hour coming from the Pacific to the Mountain Time Zone. Um, but uh, and then I flew back home from Phoenix, and uh, all the hours on the road, just looking at and the Grand Canyon was amazing. Um, uh, it, it absolutely was was uh, was breathtaking and awe-inspiring. But those hours that I spent on the road from Phoenix to the Canyon from Flagstaff to Vegas and then from Vegas back to Phoenix, just the open land and Mm -hmm. the beautiful landscape. I just never realized how beautiful the desert countryside is. And I'm literally driving, I'm snapping pictures with my cell phone um, and uh, just those hours soaking up the environment and just that feeling of anything is possible and going through my memories of how hard, 2022 was for me. Um, you know, my mom uh, passed away that year. Uh, my wife uh, of more than 20 years uh, filed for divorce. Uh, literally the same month that my mother passed away, like maybe a few days before. And I and I knew that was coming. We had we we had separated a few years back um, she came back. We were together again. We were united. We were together again for about three years. And then late in 2021, she mentioned that she, she wanted to divorce and, um, and I was just distraught. Uh, and then in the middle of that, my mom passes away. Uh, so, mm-hmm. um, so 2022 was just a really, really hard year. Uh, I started 2023 out thinking, yes, it's going to be great, you know, whatever, and uh, and I I kind of talked the talk, but I didn't really walk the walk. It was a really hard year because uh, it was still grieving, the loss of my mother still grieving, the loss of my marriage. And uh, so that trip gave me for the first time a you know time and space to really just kind of be by myself and to reflect and to do it not in the confines of my own home, which I think can be limiting um, because I think in a way, when you're struggling with things and you're in your own four walls or you're in a space that's very familiar to you, I think you can kind of almost in a way feel entrapped by the feelings that are kind of, that you're feeling, but out there on the open road, Mm -hmm. uh, this new environment and this seemingly limitless world, uh, the scenic views. It's kind of like, you know, I'm hurting, but there's life. There's
1: mm-hmm.
2: a world out there. And uh, and so the trip in a way allowed me, I think, to kind of leave some of what i had been holding on to for a very long time. That was, I was kind of sitting, as, as I'm sitting on my couch here in my living room, I was kind of sitting in the midst of all of that regret and remorse and and pain and suffering and i'm still thinking about those same things when i'm out there on the road but the environment is so much more clear and open and um uh uh, i'm trying to i'm searching for the right word here um uh you know it's like this there's possibility uh liberating um, yeah so so it was uh so the trip allowed me to i think really kind of let go of of a lot that I'd kind of been holding on to uh, when I got back and there's still work to be done for sure but it was a very liberating uh, trip if you will and and the fact that I was there's also something I think about doing something on your own it 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 really strengthens your sense and feeling of independence Um, and when you've suffered loss um, you're thinking about what you no longer have but when you really kind of envelop yourself in your feeling that you know what I'm, I'm, I'm strong. I'm, I'm capable. Um, and even if I have to do it on my own, I can still do it. Uh, and, and so it, 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 it,
1: uh, was a, uh, kind of a, uh, a reinforcement of, of those feelings as well. Oh man, that was a great riff. I've, I can totally relate on a million levels. Uh, uh, Yes, that's about all I can say, and uh, your honesty, I really appreciate and love all and you know, hold back there but yeah i um i could feel it and when you were doing that riff, I'm in the car and what, here's what I'm thinking What were you listening to? Did you have oh, music on I, oh yes are-
2: definitely i I've got a spotify playlist oh, yes. um that i i would argue is uh one of the most uh uh i would say uh e- eclectic mixes of of and maybe not the most eclectic but I it is a strong playlist. I've got I've got I've got hip hop, I've got RB, uh, I've got jazz, I've got uh house music. Um I mean just in all of these uh uh you know there's a I mean music I think is like a really incredible medicine. Yes. Um it can it can it can it can make you sad and it can make you uh energetic, it can make you feel powerful, it can, it can spark your anger. You know, um, so you know, uh, Tupac does that for me, you know, kind of gets me really into, you know, my 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 angry and emotional side. Um and uh and then house music just makes me feel happy, you know. Um uh and then there's songs that just make me feel very energetic. Uh and I've got playlists, I've got a hype playlist, I've got a I've got a um, I've got a playlist where it's kind of like you know, F the world, I can do this. Um, and so, uh, so, so yeah, so, so all of that was playing as well. And, uh, and, uh, that was a soundtrack to this backdrop and these, uh, these things that I was kind of thinking through and, and, uh, and so, yeah, it was definitely a part of, uh, it was a part of the journey.
1: Sometimes we should do a show on your playlist. Mick Dumkey comes on, uh, and we do, we have one of our favorite shows, uh, God bless Mick. Uh, He's young, but he can go back to the 70s. So we'll we'll like break down a year. So we just did 1973. It's my favorite year for music. I love the (laughs) 70s. Uh, And so we like our favorite songs from 73, you know, favorite albums, et cetera, so forth. But your playlist would be an interesting thing. I had a very similar experience. Okay. So I drove with my oldest daughter once from Chicago to uh, LA. uh, And she was very gracious. She allowed me to control the music. So Ah. if you're going to be with me, that's like. you're hearing 6th motown for the billionth time uh 70s r&b soul music for the millionth time the beatles for the millionth time okay uh and then finally we hit the uh i remember we hit the desert she goes dad i can't take another minute of this old people's music and she put on <laughs> some hip hop we had. I had. what can i say all of, i mean she was driving so we we zipped into uh that's how i heard of kanye Wyatt. believe it or not man i never even oh, heard wow. yeah that's how i heard why you scratched that bad? Uh, of course, he's raging at the semi, but that's a whole other issue, all right? Um, so and a lunatic at that, but uh wow, sometime we'll do uh the all the Lowry uh playlist. All right, I'm not gonna let you get out the door without one last uh question uh on an issue that every guest gets, whether they're prepared to answer it or not. Uh, and that is I'm not it's the opposite side of the Sun Times. So here is the front page, the White Sox. (laughs) All right. And you flip it over, you have the sports page. All right. Teaching millennials how a newspaper works, at least a tabloid. Uh, And should the Bears draft Caleb Williams? Should they get rid of Justin Fields? No ducking and dodging, all in Larry. Go.
2: The Bears should
1: trade the first
2: overall pick, uh, get uh, a haul that includes several uh first round and second round and third round picks um and they should uh bring in an offensive coordinator and a quarterback's coach specifically for their ability to help Justin Fields be the best quarterback that he can be. I think the Bears stumbled into a I think a great quarterback prospect. Um he has not had the kind of development that some think that he should. I have looked at the numbers, and I think they're very encouraging. Uh, Justin Fields, just very quickly, Justin Fields' passer rating has gone from maybe in the high 70s to the mid-80s, and it improved a little bit more in his third year. Um, if you look at the list of people who had those kinds of numbers, that kind of progression, I think there's a short list, maybe about 25 or so NFL quarterbacks who played since nineteen seventy. And that list includes Hall of Famers. And and, and I I should pull up the spreadsheet so I could actually throw some names at you. Um, But uh, it includes Hall of Famers. It includes all pros. I don't think there was a bad quarterback on that sheet anywhere. Um, So uh, granted, he has not blown or set the world on fire, particularly with his passing thus far. But if you actually watch the games, you see him make throws particularly since D.J. Moore has been uh, with the team, you see him make some really good throws. Uh, if the Bears get another really comp, uh, you know, com, um, uh, competent and, and productive wideout to go alongside with, uh, with Moore, we continue to see the development of Cole Komet at tight end. Um, uh, and uh, the Bears, I think, did a great job with the running backs that they had. Um, uh, but um, I, I, I think this kid is going to be really, really good. Um, so uh, the thing that I think there's I think the the promise of a Caleb Williams is I think the, the Bears would be served more by trading that pick and working with what they have in Justin Fields than taking a gamble on Caleb Williams with the number one pick. There's a lot more to gain. Keeping Fields in my eyes is a package deal because it includes trading that pick and getting a ton of other things. So it's like you got Fields the promise of fields developing and uh, and then assets that you can use to bring in another top wide receiver uh, to, to help build that defense, to help build that offensive line. There's a lot of good in keeping Justin Fields. If you, if you trade him, you're not going to get another first round pick. Uh, you might get a third round pick maybe um, uh, the fact that you're trading him, I think just devalues him to begin with. But um. So you're really hinging the future on Caleb Williams, uh, and l- let's look at Carolina. And you know they traded away, oh, yeah. they traded up to get that number one from the Bears. Uh, they traded up to yeah. get Price Price <laughs> Young, and he didn't have a great first yeah. year. He might ultimately <laughs> d- develop to be a really good quarterback, but that's the gamble that you're making when 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 you are going when you're hinging your 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 future on. The number one overall pick, and so I think the Bears have more to gain, and it's actually a safer bet, in my opinion. Working with a with a quarterback who has shown flashes of being something that we've never seen before. I mean, in Chicago, uh, uh, you know. And so, for all of those who naysayers about him or whatever, I, I just say, just look at Lamar Jackson. Um, they're not the exact same kind of player. Uh, But but Jackson was a guy who still has questions about what kind of passer he can be in the NFL. And the guy is potentially on his way to a second MVP. Um, uh, Justin Fields is in a very short list of quarterbacks that can do what he can do. Um, Every quarterback who's ever been successful in the NFL has taken some time to really, really develop. Um, what you're seeing, what you saw to see just Stroud as a rookie quarterback this year is a is really the exception. It's not the rule. I don't think anybody should look at a young quarterback first three or four years and expect them to light the world on fire. Mm-hmm. Um, so Fields has shown progression. I think we'll see more progression, especially if they get them with with the right kind of person. They need someone who's going to develop a system that fits Justin Fields as opposed to trying to make Justin Fields fit their system. Uh, had a system. That maybe he perfected with a Hall of Fame quarterback and Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is a different kind of quarterback than Justin Fields. Why should Justin Fields be expected to be Aaron Rodgers? He's not Aaron Rodgers. San Francisco has a system that Brock Purdy fits very well in. And so even though he was the last player picked in the draft, he's a great quarterback in what they're doing, what Kyle Shanahan and, and those folks are doing over there. Let's find a system that Justin Fields can be great in because even when he is not in that, hasn't been in that system, he's had flashes of doing stuff that we've, we've never seen anybody do. Let's build around him.
1: Wow. Uh, great riff. I didn't know that was an outpouring that I was going to get. I appreciate it. I'm with you 100%. And to quote Wilson Pickett. Don't let the green grass fool you. It always looks better on the other side of the fence. You Caleb William lover out there. Uh, just think he's going to be the next big thing. I'm with you 100%. Uh, yes. build on what you got. And uh, Justin Field has a lot of potential. All right, Alden Lowry, thank you very much. I appreciate it tremendously. WBEZ, you can read his essays, his articles, and his columns in the Chicago Sun-Times as well. Uh, and uh, I'll talk to you real soon. Okay, Alden? Sounds great, Ben. Thanks for having me, man. All right. That's great, Alden Lowry. I also want to thank producer Chris. He does an outstanding job. And I think Alden will agree with me when I say, hey, producer Chris, give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. Peace and love, everybody.
0: And remember, you can stay updated on all things Ben Jarofsky by heading to chicagoreader.com. You can follow Ben on Instagram, at Benny J Show. And don't forget, please like, subscribe, and follow The Ben Jarofsky Show on your favorite streaming and podcasting platforms.